May 1964, Jacques Demy's The Umbrellas of Cherbourg competed for the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival. It was Demy's third feature film, he having made his debut in 1961 with the bittersweet melodrama Lola. An opening title card on that film announced its dedication to the memory of German Meister Max Offels, who had died in 1957. For a young filmmaker emerging in the midst of the Nouvelle Vague, it was not unusual to see such a tribute. After all, Truffaut had offered his debut, The 400 Blows, to his mentor, André Bazin, while Jean-Luc Godard addressed his first feature, Breathless, to the American B-movie studio, Monogram Pictures. Demi had planned Lola to be a musical, but budgetary restrictions forced him to abandon that ambition. Which is why, even though there are moments in that film where his characters do break out in song, Demi paradoxically described his first feature as a musical without music. Max Offels never made a musical, but several of his films, most notably Liebelei, Letter from an Unknown Woman, La Ronde and The Earrings of Madame De, each feature sequences where Offels had his characters dance, exclusively to waltzes. And then, having created his musical moment, Offels would then move his camera so that it felt as if we were dancing with the characters. So in a way, Offels made musicals only without the songs. By the time Demi came to make The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, he had a big enough reputation to be trusted with a big enough budget for him to finally make a fully-fledged musical. The thing is, though, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg is more than just a musical. Traditional musicals have the characters talk between the songs, but The Umbrellas of Cherbourg is sung all the way through. Every line, every word, every syllable is set to music, a blithe commentary on how central music is to our being and our seemingly never-ending need to secure a soundtrack to our lives. More than that, it makes the film less like a musical and more like an operetta. But again, it's more than just an operetta, because, under the penmanship of composer Michel Legrand, the score for The Umbrellas of Cherbourg mixes opera, pop and jazz. President of the jury at Cannes in 1964 was none other than Offal's compatriot Fritz Lang. A coincidence, no doubt, but the umbrellas of Cherbourg walked away with the Palme d'Or, shocking everyone, but surprising no one. Simply put, it was the most delirious, inventive, unlikely film in competition that year. Yes, there were perhaps more profound, intellectually rigorous and socially committed films, like Larry Pierce's One Potato, Two Potato, which offered a study of inter-ethnic marriage in America's Midwest. Or Hiroshi Teshigahara's Woman of the Dunes, which presented a parable on human existence. Or there was Andre Munch's Passenger, which recounted the relationship of a female SS officer and an inmate at Auschwitz. But without doubt, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg was by far the most intoxicating and emotionally surprising. The plot is gossamer thin. Young Genevieve, played by Catherine Deneuve, is in love with Guy, 
played by Nino Castelnuovo. But Guy has to go away. He promises to come back and Genevieve promises to wait. But then life gets in the way. That summary may make it sound painfully cliched, but Demi's tale tells some perennial truths about the nature of love. And such truths of love have been told not just many times, but in many ways down through the centuries. Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice has been brought to the screen over a dozen times, and in 1993 was adapted into a stage musical. And even though Les Miserables is probably more familiar now as Claude Michel Schoenberg's 1980 stage musical than Victor Hugo's novel from 1862, there have been over 50 film versions of the original story. And then you have the hundreds of film adaptations of Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet and the Sondheim-Bernstein musical West Side Story. And that is not to mention the dozens of films that have reshaped Shakespeare's timeless plot of the star-crossed lovers whose fates may be intertwined, but whose destinies tear them apart. Besides the umbrellas of Cherbourg, you have The Notebook, and then Titanic. The curious thing about Jacques Demy's delirious musical drama is that it was not inspired by Shakespeare's play, but instead took its cue from a trilogy of films made in France in the early 1930s. Fanny, Marius and César were written by Marcel Pagnol, whose prodigious talents allowed him to begin his career first as a novelist, then branch into theatre and then onto cinema, where, after the popular successes of Fanny and Marius, Pagnol seized the opportunity to direct the final episode, César. The three films, which came to be known as the Marseille Trilogy, centred around the thwarted love of Fanny and Marius, two young sweethearts whose lives are thrown into disarray when Fanny learns she is carrying Marius's child. Marius's father, César, discovers this and commands the youngsters to get married. But seeing that he will be unable to face up to fatherhood, Fanny agrees to help Marius sneak away aboard an ocean liner. With Marius now out of the picture, Fanny is coerced into marrying Panisse, a much older and conveniently wealthy man. A few months after the marriage and the birth of the baby, Marius returns and tries to win Fanny back. In the third film, Pagnol catapults the events decades later, when Fanny's son, Cesario, is grown up. And it is only as Panisse lies dying on his bed that the young Cesario learns the truth and then sets off to find his real father. Back to Max Offels and his mobile camera. American film critic Andrew Saris once wrote that Offels had given camera movement its finest hours in the history of cinema. And while many cinema sequences set to music feature meticulously choreographed camera movement, think of the opening to Paul Thomas Anderson's Boogie Nights, the Copacabana scene in Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas, or the entire 96 minutes of Alexander Sokharov's Russian Ark. For me, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg provides one of the most delirious, disorientating, and yet deceptively simple camera movements in all of cinema.
Genevieve and Guy are at the train station, tearfully awaiting for his departure to be called. The announcement is made. Guy gets up from his seat and director of photography Jean Rabier pulls back to watch him walk away from Genevieve. Each step he takes seems to push the camera further away to emphasise the growing distance between himself and Genevieve. Unable to bear it, Genevieve rises and runs to embrace Guy one final time. They walk out onto the platform and Demi cuts to outside the station house where the real magic occurs. As Guy and Genevieve walk to his carriage, Rabier's camera begins to track back. It is a superbly gauged moment because we are walking in exact rhythm with the young, heartbroken lovers. But then Demi does something completely unexpected. Instead of having Guy and Genevieve stop, and then the camera stop, so we can watch them kiss goodbye, Guy quickly steps up onto the train, and at that instant, the train begins to move. Suddenly, we are travelling with Guy, as he hangs out of the doorway, looking back at Genevieve. It is not just Guy who is leaving, it is we who are leaving Genevieve behind. And then, as Genevieve stops walking, the camera's movement changes and we realise we are not travelling aboard the train, but simply tracking along the tracks, out of sync with both characters. Guy slips out of view frame left, leaving us looking back at Genevieve, sobbing in the distance, and we are left absorbing the tragedy of leaving and staying in the same moment and movement. Delirious, disorientating, and yet deceptively simple. But if camera movement were all there was in the Umbrellas of Cherbourg, we would not still be talking about it over half a century after its release. There is of course Lagrand's majestic music and lyrics, which almost unbelievably did not win a single award, losing out its Oscar nominations for Best Original Score to Maurice Jarre's composition for Dr. Javago. Best Song to The Shadow of Your Smile by Johnny Mandel and Francis Paul Webster for The Sandpiper. But if camera movement and music were the only things of merit in the Umbrellas of Cherbourg, we would not still be talking about it over a half a century after its release. It is how Demi uses colour. Bear in mind this was his first feature in that format, and collaborating closely with production designer Bernard Avine and costume designer Jacqueline Moreau, the Umbrellas of Cherbourg delivers a near kaleidoscope of pastels. Watching the story unfold, and the way the colours are sprayed about the screen, I'm always put in mind of an earlier Hollywood musical, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, which is so drenched in different hues 
It may have well have been called Seven Brides for Seven Colours. But neither Demi, Evine or Moreau saturated the screen for colour's sake. One need look no further than the title to realise what is at play. Umbrellas are there to shelter us from the rain, but that should not mean that they should be gloomy. Genevieve's widowed mother, Madame Emery, played by Anne Vernon, owns the umbrella shop, and when her customers open out their parasols, they are celebrations amid the gloom. And if we bother to look closely, there is a lot of gloom skirting around the edges of Cherbourg. The film, made in 1964, sends Guy away to war. That war was the war in Algeria, an increasingly divisive issue in France at the time, and so it was quite a risk for Demi to mix such a serious matter with such a seemingly light story. The year before, Godard finally saw the release of his film Le Petit Soldat, which had been banned for three years because of the unflinching look it took at France's efforts to suppress Algeria's struggle for independence. And elsewhere in 1964, Stanley Kubrick's Doctor Strangelove offered a pitch-black view of a different political conflict. Then there is the ending to the film, which, although still sung, suddenly changes the tone. It is set in the deep winter, with the seaside city now coated in snow. Il fait froid. Viens au bureau. Once again, Demi and Rabier manage to make it all look very beautiful. But with the snow, the colours are now drained from the screen, and we are set up for an ending that is utterly at odds with the traditions and tropes of the musical genre. Which means that Demi has taken us out of the musical, beyond the realm of the operetta, and into the arena of tragic opera. 